Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and I invite you to experience Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, the podcast. Along with an audio drama of my adoption story, you will hear from other adoptees from all walks of life who said yes to a conversation with me about their journey for the purpose of encouraging members of the community. A special thank you to Damon Davis, host of the podcast, Who Am I Really? He played a major role in helping me to launch my podcast in March of this year. If you find value in at least one episode of Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, please share the podcast with someone today. Also, take the time to like and subscribe so others can find it wherever they listen to podcasts for free. Today you will hear from Wendy, an adoptee born during the Baby Scoop era, the 1960s, in New York City. She entered the world in July of 1968 and adopted through the Louise Weiss Adoption Agency. She is in reunion, but rejected by her birth father in early 2018. In April of the same year, Wendy reunited with her maternal birth family her natural mother, with whom she remains in close contact. I first met Wendy within the last year via a virtual meeting hosted by Adoption Network Cleveland and knew instantly that I wanted to chat with her again. We both lost our adoptive dads to cancer when we were young moms in our 20s. We immediately connected on that tough loss. We also have in common both doing an Ancestry DNA kit in 2017. I listened to her conversation with Damon Davis, the host of Who Am I Really?, and had the opportunity to learn more about her journey. In this episode, she shares with us some of the questions that have come up for her since last sharing a part of her story via a podcast. Because of the unethical practices often reported or written about concerning the Louise Weiss Agency, she wonders, was she a part of their many experiments with adoptees? I find Wendy to be most engaging when we talk adoption and our shared perspectives about the subject. She's easy to talk to, a true questioner like me, and interested in staying connected to the adoption community. I'm excited to introduce Wendy, who I look forward to meeting in person one day soon. Wendy, I'm so glad you said yes to a conversation with me today. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, me too. So why don't we just get started, like start wherever you want? Well, my story begins, actually my story kind of begins before my birth. I was born in New York City in 1968. I came to learn after I found my natural mom that she Uh, didn't learn she was pregnant with me until April of 1968. And then she, after her college semester ended, she was quickly whisked away to a home for unwed mothers um, run by Louise Wise Services in New York City. And I was born in July. I was adopted about four-ish weeks later in August. I don't know where I was from the time of my birth until my adoption. And uh, I was then brought up 
uh, in a family uh, in New Jersey. I was the oldest of three children. I have a younger adopted sister, and then my parents had a biological son. I had a very good childhood, wonderful, loving family. I found my birth father first in around February of 2018, and he has never responded to any of my attempts at communication with him, although he's still alive. And then I found my birth mother in April of 2018. She and I have, over the past three years, developed a relationship. So you found your your birth father first? Yes. Okay. How did, um, how did you find him? Uh, through By doing DNA testing, okay. I took both Ancestry and 23andMe. The results of the Ancestry test helped to find identify him. Mm-hmm. He didn't take the test. I came up with a match who ended up being his second cousin. And I had contacted her and I had told her I was adopted and, you know, Between the two of us, we really couldn't put anything together. But then I got some assistance from um, a few, a couple search angels as part of the, who were a part of um, Search Squad, a Facebook group. When one of those search angels reached out to my DNA contact and I think just posed questions differently than I did, she was able to put together the pieces of the puzzle very quickly and Mm. help identify my birth father. My birth mother was more challenging to identify and ultimately found by 23andMe, but we had gotten pretty far in constructing a family tree and figured out who her father was, but then it seemed as though he disappeared after he graduated from high school. We could find no further information on him, and what ultimately really, what happened was he changed his name. And so it wasn't until a young woman tested and her results popped up in April 2018 that um, her last name actually matched the last name that my maternal grandfather changed his name to. And once I found that information, I would and I connected with her and I connected with her father, I was able to sort of fill out the rest of the family tree pretty quickly and find some information, you know, obituaries and other information on other people and and use my non-identifying information to search in the New York Birth Index for my birth mother and kind of basically put the pieces of the puzzle together and identify who she was. Mm -hmm. So you have always known you were adopted? Yes. In fact, I I still have copies of my birth announcement that my adopted parents sent out and it has my birth date and it has my adoption date on it and announces, you know, that I was adopted. Mm. And that was in 1968. Yeah. My adopted mother has told me that they were told that they should tell me, you know, as, as soon as possible or as early as I could understand that I was adopted. Mm. And so I honestly don't remember ever being told I was adopted. I just, I just knew I was adopted. Mm-hmm. And it was something that, you know, they told other people. It wasn't 
we didn't talk about it a lot, but my parents were, it wasn't something they hid, Mm -hmm. you know, that my sister and I were both adopted. Did you ever find yourself volunteering that information, like growing up with, um, with your peers? Yes and no, I should say. I I think sometimes I, I remember volunteering that information and sort of having it used against me. Mm. You know, I can remember being you know, told by other kids, like, your parents aren't your real parents, you know, mm-hmm. your real parents didn't want you. I, I, I mean, that that still is in my brain. And I know that was said to me by other kids. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I would volunteer that information. You know, another another kid would sit tell me they were adopted. So it sort of was this moment of mm. feeling really uh, like kind of bonded to someone else from this similar experience. Right. The, the time that it came up the most is that my my sister, who's just about two years younger than I am, it looked, you know, we have no biological relationship and um, we looked completely different from one another. So if we went somewhere and we announced that we were sisters, people very quickly would say that's not possible. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is when we would like very often divulge, you know, that we were adopted right. or, mm-hmm. or I guess sometimes not divulge that. But mm-hmm. um, did you think about your family of origin growing up? Yes, I did. But I thought I, I have to be honest, I I kind of thought really primarily about my mother, not my father, mm-hmm. you know, really wondered who my mother was. I grew up in New Jersey, not far from New York City, where I was born. And I was in my adopted families, both sides of the family all lived in New York's parts of New York City. I was in New York City frequently. So I would, you know, often be just walking around thinking, am I passing this woman? Mm. You know, is she here? In reality, she actually sort of was very close. We were very geographically close to one another for many years. Which you later learned in Reunion. Yes, exactly. Now, do you have your original birth certificate? I do. So I was born in New York, but adopted in New Jersey. So first New Jersey had um, changed their laws and you could get your original birth certificate before New York. New Mm -hmm. York changed just before the pandemic in January 2020. Um, January 15th, 2020 became the date, I believe, that you could get your original birth certificate in New York. So actually, I had applied in New Jersey thinking maybe I could get it because I was adopted in New Jersey. And when I went through that process, they told me that that was not the case because of the year that I was born that the records were um, in the possession of New York. So um, I sent my application in on January 15th, 2020, and I, I did eventually get my original birth certificate. So when you saw your original birth certificate, what did that feel like when you saw it for the first time? There were there were a bunch of different emotions. The first one, I think, was like extreme excitement. Um, and a bit of shock also, which actually, like, which which then transpired into a degree of anger and then transpired into also some degree of surprise. I've um, heard it described like that for others. Yes. Yeah. 
You have. So, I mean, I can tell you, I, I can tell you a little bit more why. I mean, on the one hand, I'm finally allowed to have information about myself, which seems sort of silly because I feel like I should have always been allowed to have information about myself. Right. When I opened it, and I was excited that I got the order of adoption, but when I opened it also right there in front of me, and I, I knew this before I received it, the last name on my birth certificate was falsified. It was not my birth mother's name. As I understand it, it was falsified by her father. It used the same initial to start the last name, the same letter. You know, so I looked at that. That's what made me feel angry is mm -hmm. that had I gotten that last name even years earlier, it was extremely common last name and it would have really prevented me from finding her. The surprise was that he used the actual address where she grew up and where she was pregnant with me. So, so it um, wasn't the home that she was sent to? No. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, so had I had that information again years ago, I'm not sure if I could have tracked who had resided at that address and figured it out. And then like, you know, things like I never knew what time I was born. So that was exciting to see. Mm -hmm. But it was these mixed emotions of this is me. This is about me and my life. And it's and there's parts of this that are a lie, as there have been other lies all along, mm -hmm. you know, in the non-identifying information and, you know, things that are sort of clandestine or I'm not allowed to know. And, you know, that makes me sort of angry and frustrated given that I'm an adult mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, especially it, and it, it increases my frustration, I guess, at this point in my life when, you know, I'm an adult, my adopted father's deceased, my adopted mother's in her eighties, my birth mother and I know one another. I still feel like, why is there certain information I'm not entitled to have? Yeah. It's almost like, and I've heard it mentioned this way, like we, because I'm in my 50s too, like we're still being treated like children. Yeah, like adoptees are still being regarded as as not being adults. Yeah. All this time you know, later. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for example, you know, I, I received my non-identifying information probably around 2009, um, and then subsequently, about 10 years later, I asked for it again, just to see if I would get anything different. And after, and even after that, I kind of learned that I could pose more specific questions to the agency about my non-identifying information. So I've posed questions about an additional two times, and I've gotten responses, but I really have a hard time understanding you know, why am I not allowed to have any of the information in that file? You know, when again, you know, I'm an adult that pertains to me, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll answer my questions in what I would call kind of an, an evasive way. I had asked for a blank copy of the what a birth mother would need to sign in the 1960s to relinquish a child. It didn't have to contain any identifying information. And they said, we won't give that to you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I, and, and yeah, I, I feel like, 
you know, I feel like I'm, I am being treated like a child or I'm being sort of like punished in some way for, you know, I'm not even sure how to explain it. (laughs) I know exactly Um, what you mean. I'm at a loss of words. Yeah. Well, the agency in Chicago, Chicago Child Care Society is still open. That's the agency that my parents went through. And, and I understand the agency, uh, that your birth mom went through was the Louise Weiss agency, right? In New York. Yes. And they are, they're closed, but, uh, Spence Chapin holds their records and, and is responsible for, you know, um, responding to inquiries, um, from adoptees about their, their non-identifying information. Oh, so that they're, they're maintaining the post-adoption records. Yes. I got you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, they've been in the news that Louise Weiss adoption agency, um, for at least a decade to my knowledge, and it's come up on this podcast a number of times as well. What, what was your experience like having to deal with getting your records from them? I've always dealt with Spence Chapin and the process, the process has been you know, fine in the sense that there's a form you have to fill out, you have to have it notarized. So each time I've asked for anything, I've had to go through the process of, you know, submitting this documentation to them. And they've, they've, they've always responded back to me actually in a pretty timely fashion too. I haven't had a long wait. Louise Wise left some sort of endowment so that if you're an old Louise Wise adoptee, you don't have to pay for your non-identifying information. As I said before, there's, you know, and I feel like I've been treated professionally by them. But as I said before, you know, there's just this frustration over why, why can't this file be just handed over to me? Um, You know, and they stand behind, this is like the law of the state of New York. Mm -hmm. You know, I've thought about trying to, you know, I've, I've somewhat investigated and not in a really thorough way, you know, how can I challenge that in some way? And can I try to obtain that information? But for me, the, the complicating factor is that I was born in one place and adopted in another. So um, there is a process by which somebody can request their entire file, like if they were born and adopted in New York. But I think with being adopted in another state, my understanding is it kind of complicates that process. Yeah, so I have not like real, I mean, when I have enough free time, I might eventually try to figure out if there's a way to pursue that. If my two mothers predecease me and my father is deceased, then why can't I just, why can't that be handed to me? Yeah, I agree. And, and that was my experience too. And, and seeing that this person across from me, who's in charge of post-adoption files is looking through the file. Like he was looking through it. I won't say it's a thick file, but it was quite a bit in there yet. He can only say, let me do a report. I'm going to summarize what's in this file. And I've been grown. I was late 40s at that time. Yet I'm being treated, it felt like being treated like a child. Yeah. So, so yeah. 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 And 
actually i'm i'm getting i'm sort of inclined to write to them again after the book american baby came out because the gentleman that is the adoptee in that book is relinquished through louise wise and it was the the earlier 60s i believe but the author writes about experimentation that went on with mm. children right. sort of through that agency after the stories came out more and more about um, them separating twins and triplets, I actually specifically wrote and I put a specific question in there saying, I want you to address whether I'm, I was ever part of a multiple birth because they never addressed that in my non-identifying information. And my understanding was they kept that secretive even in the non-identifying information from some people who were part of a multiple birth. Now mm. I want to write back and I want to say, by the way, was I ever experimented on? Right. Um, was I part of some experiment? It's sort of distressing almost to think like maybe I could have been and no one's ever actually told me. And you don't know because there, there were some pract unethical practices that definitely have come out about that agency. And I would have those same questions, too. So what would you share with those who are interested in searching for original family members? Do you have any guidance? I, I think I have a few few pieces of guidance. I think first I would say prepare yourself for any sort of outcome. I would tell you that I was rather naive. I believed that, or I think subconsciously, I believed that everyone would want to hear from me. And clearly that was not the case. You know, my, I've, again, I've, I've tried to reach out to my birth father by phone, email, letter. Uh, he's never responded to me. You know, there are other people that um, I guess I would say haven't outright verbally rejected me, but they've made really no effort to contact me or get to know me. So I, I, I take that as a rejection. Mm -hmm. You know, some of that's been kind of difficult to difficult to swallow, I suppose, because I I I, I didn't really didn't not that he didn't that. Yeah. yeah yeah I mean in the back of my mind I suppose I always knew that that was possible but mm -hmm. there's a part of me that kind of thought like you know I'm a nice person right. who wouldn't want to hear from me <laughs> exactly so I think you know you have to be kind of prepared for this might go the way you're you want it to and it might not my other piece of advice would be if you really want to know be persistent and don't give up i i gave up i i started looking when i was probably 18 years old but i gave up many times um, i felt like i hit a lot of roadblocks it wasn't until i did the dna testing and then i was extremely persistent in trying to solve the puzzle. And I'm, I'm glad that I was. And then I think another thing that I would tell people is that, you know, it, even if you find all of your questions may not be answered. That's my experience. Mm -hmm. You know, you may, you're going to learn, you're going to learn a lot. Some, some that you might want to know and some that you may not want to actually know, but you may not learn everything in the end. Right. Um, and you may not learn it right away. I, I think, yeah, yeah. it may not, because you, you're not, like I know I have always have, I'm a questioner, so I have a bunch of questions all at once. 
And it's like, okay, I might get three out of 10 in years one through three, a reunion. And then some of the other questions answered in four through eight of reunion, years of reunion. So yeah, you just, you know. Yes, I think you're absolutely right about that. And that's been my experience so far. And there's still things that I want to know that I don't know Mm -hmm. and that maybe I'll learn as time goes on. And I think there's things that I want to know that I'm never going to know. And so you have been connected to the adoption community for a while now. And what has been the, I guess, the best thing about that? For me, one of the best things has actually been hearing the stories of birth moms I've, I have found that very, not just interesting, um, but healing for myself Yeah. on some level. I think that my, my brain has had some degree of confusion over my life between feeling unwanted and kind of tossed aside, coupled with, you know, my parents also saying things to me like, you know, your birth mother really cared about you and she wanted the best for you. That's why she chose to do this. And there's almost like this contradiction that's gone on in my head. So I think to, you know, hear um, birth moms about what they went through, particularly during the generation kind of in which I was born, that's, that's been helpful to me. It's also been really great to just meet other and connect with other people who share this kind of, even though we all have really different experiences, it's, it is a shared life experience in some way, mm-hmm. you know, and, and make new, you know, contacts and connections, like, you know, as an example, sort of like getting connected to you and now knowing you and knowing you're out there and you're somebody I could reach out to, exactly. you know, to talk about whatever is, and, and that you just sort of understand this part of me on some level. Mm-hmm. And I understand that part of you is, I, it's very meaningful to me. You know, I've had so many times in my life where, you know, people have said things to me such as, you know, why would you want to know that, you know, you had a good life, you mm-hmm. had good parents, yeah. um, you know, why are you, why does this matter or why should you care about this? And to explain that to someone who hasn't walked in my shoes and had the same kind of life experience as me is is really almost next to impossible for me. And it's exhausting because um, I, too, I get that. I have gotten it. I don't think anybody really talks to me like that anymore. But I do remember that coming up a lot. And it's it was so exhausting to have to explain something that you probably would never be understood by someone who's not adopted. And absolutely. Uh, yeah. And I love, I, you know, I love to engage with someone else who was adopted and they could have had a vastly different experience than me. I mean, you know, they could have been adopted from a foreign country to um, a family of a completely different race or culture, but yet, you know, which is not my experience yet, you know, on some level we could talk and there are some similar themes for us. While I, I can't appreciate everything about another person's experience, I can appreciate certain elements of it and sort of 
communicate with them or have this bond with them over the things that, you know, do resonate for both of us. Mm-hmm. And, and also being connected to the adoption community has led you to be somewhat, well, maybe pretty public. I know you've been on Damon Davis's Who Am I Really podcast. And the decision to do that, was it, was it pretty easy or was it challenging? Um, no, that was an easy decision, and I, I, I was, I was really so pleased that he selected me to be on the podcast, and that you asked me to be on your podcast because, you know, I feel as though I want to tell people about my story and all the strange nuances of it, and if there's any little element of it that you know, speaks to someone else or helps them in some way Mm -hmm. that um, I want to do that. Uh, If I really, someday I fantasize that I would have enough free time that I could, you know, get more. I'd love, I love the um, kind of the searching process and I'd love to be able to learn more and help people find um, their original family or help people find other people kind of like learn to be, learn how to be a search angel. I, you know, I'm happy to, I'm happy to sort of share my story with anybody that wants to listen. In fact, I did something in my community at one point that kind of wove my story with really more of a, like, bit of an educational program on consumer DNA testing and how I utilized that in my search. I, you know, I just, I like, enjoy being part of the adoption community. I enjoy going to conferences or, you know, listening to different speakers. Um, it just broadens my whole entire understanding and um, appreciation. Yeah, me too. And I, um, I, I'm so glad our paths crossed. And I know when I reached out to you, you were so warm and engaging. And, and we had a chance to to realize that, yeah, like, that's what it's about being a part of the community is to be able to see, oh, wow, like something about what she just said or he just said resonates with me. I want to talk with them more. And that's kind of how our relationship got started. And I'm so glad. And I'm so glad you agreed to do this. Is there anything that you maybe forgot to say when you were on Damon's show that you, you would like to share on this show? I, I seem to recall that Damon had asked me about if I would um, reach out to my birth father ever again. And I haven't subsequently done that. So I guess that's a follow-up. I, I can't recollect exactly if I had met some of my other maternal biological relatives when I was on his program, but I, I have I have met quite a few more, um, probably. In fact, uh, this definitely did happen since I was on his podcast. I came to learn a first cousin of my birth mom through her paternal side actually lives in the same town that I live in. Yes, and I was connected. I have been connected to her and her family now. So that's sort of extended my you know, experience with other biological family. Mm -hmm. That's what's fascinating, too, about this journey 
as adoptees, it, it's unfolding. Like, it's forever going to just be more added to the story as we just live life. And so it's nice to be able to get, like, updates from adoptees and, and see, well, from the last time maybe you shared your story, what, what has happened now? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm so yeah. glad you agreed to come on and, and share with me where you are now. And and so in closing, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you would like adoptees to know? I have one final thought, and I guess it relates to um, also, you know, sort of what I've been up to since the um, the Who Am I Really podcast that I was on. You know, I've continued to build a relationship with my natural mother. And I think what I'd like people to know who may be trying to find original family or who are early in reunion is just that it really takes time to build a relationship with another person, despite how maybe sort of genetically close you are, you know, that when you find one another, it you, you kind of start on a journey, I think you really are kind of like strangers in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I've heard it described that way. And it did feel that way. It's taken time and effort, a lot of effort. I was very scared originally to sort of call her or make efforts to reach out to her because I just was uncertain about, you know, whether that would be, you know, how I would be accepted. And I, I fought through my fears and I did it. And I'm happy I did it because I think it's fostered a positive relationship for us. And I think it's encouraged her to to then reciprocate and do the same. So I think that's an important thing to have people understand who might be early in the process. Mm-hmm. I, can I guess that. I'm still early in the process, really. You know, three years in reunion is not a lot of time. Mm-hmm. But you feel like it's it's getting better. Yes, I do feel like, you know, in three years, we've made some memories together. Mm-hmm. You know, we've done a bunch of things together, developed this friendship. And, you know, we have things that we can now reflect back on that mm-hmm. we've done together. And, and that's really positive. And, and working through some kind of uncomfortable feelings at times, you know, being frightened or feeling uncertain. So, you know, I, I'm glad I've pushed through and hopefully we'll have a lot more time ahead of us. You know, we'll continue to build a positive relationship. I guess the the underlying meaning is that no relationship occurs without effort. Mm-hmm. You know, so and the effort has to really come from both people. Yeah. Although, you know, one person might have to kind of light the fire a little bit more than the other person and really get it going. For me, at least part of me thought that this would just all come so naturally and not that parts of it didn't come naturally, but it, it wasn't quite as easy as I thought it would be. But and you're I'm sure everyone to do the work and the, and the effort, put in the effort. And it sounds like your birth mom, your natural mom is too. Yes. Yeah. That's wonderful. I call yeah. it like a game of catch, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, you don't hog the ball when you're playing and you, and you get you throw it and they throw it back. And yeah, that's yeah. Good. Yeah, I think some of us, you know, I, I mean, I definitely, again, probably naively thought that 
I was going to get in touch with this woman and she was going to like throw her arms open and be like, here you are. I've missed you for the last 50 years. And, you know, and instead, I mean, it was truly a moment of shock for her. Mm. And it probably brought back a lot of difficult emotions. It just took time to, you know, sort of reach a comfort level with one another. And so everybody's experience is different. For other people, it's maybe more of a climb. Yeah. Um, I think that's what it was for me, but it's had a very positive outcome. That's great. I love your word, climb. I walk these trails in the morning, and we have some serious hills along the trail. And the climb, it's like, oh, you know, you feel it. Like, you know it's not flat land any longer. And so you describe, that word describes what I can imagine it's like for you. Thank you for Uh-oh. being on You're here. welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It is an absolute joy to chat with Wendy. I enjoy how willing she is to say yes to the sharing of her adoption journey. And that word climb she uses to describe the relationship with her biological mother paints a picture for me of how being in reunion can be a challenge. I like how she chooses to use the word natural instead of birth mother because it is her choice and right as an adoptee to do so. I want to shout out to Wendy's adoptive mom and cheer her for being supportive of Wendy knowing her birth mother. She seems like a conscientious person and a true ally for adoptees. Wendy, I thank you for having a conversation with me for the podcast, and I look forward to many more good times on and off air. You make me smile each time I hear your voice, because we definitely get each other. I suggest you, the listening audience, check out the podcast, Who Am I Really?, hosted by Damon Davis. Wendy is Season 6, Episode 114, My Two Moms. Wendy is a nurse practitioner with two adult daughters and resides in Massachusetts. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash adopteeland. Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community.